Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 42. Very familiar passage of scripture, um, but maybe this morning we'll, we'll bring it to light in a different way. Verse 25, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up. There's the first problem right there. <laughs> and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law, how readest thou? Look at verse 27. And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto them, Thou hast answered right. This do, thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, Who's my neighbor? So this is the context here is the Good Samaritan. How many of you know that story, the Good Samaritan? Okay. How many have put it in this context of a conversation between Jesus and a religious ruler? Because that's what it, when you take that word lawyer and you boil it down, you dive into the Greek word, you get the connotation that it was someone of, uh, how are we doing there? Uh, we, we get the idea that it was someone of substance, someone of of an education within spiritual principles. So we would, we would call that a scribe or a Pharisee. Same kind of situation. And they often tried to catch Jesus in this uh, triangle, if you will, in, in this position where they would, they would get him saying something that would contradict the law. Remember, he came unto his own. So who was his own? The Jewish people, right? Those that were partaking in these sacrifices, those that still practiced the law and the letter of the law, down to every jot and tittle, which are those, uh, those words to describe in that culture, in that day and age, all the little details of religion that they would keep. So here we have someone that's trying to really catch Jesus in that triangle to say, uh, so how do you think someone's going to get eternal life? You know, people ask that question today. How do you go to heaven? How do you think you're going to get into heaven and I'm not? Or how do you think I'm going to get there and you're not, right? So these questions are still around today. Let's finish reading through and then we'll jump in. Jesus answered and said unto him, A man went from Jerusalem to Jericho, right? And fell among thieves. We find that if you do the geography there from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's not that far. You're only talking a couple miles, but that couple miles was very strenuous. It's still got a little ring in the, I don't know if Josh is still here, but still got a little ring. Uh, but those couple miles, it was a very strenuous journey, and there were caves, there were cliffs. It was hard for certain animals to get through. So uh, what they would do is they would hide in these cliffs and these coves, and these robbers would jump out on people that were taking this journey. So what Jesus was saying, they understood, like, man, here's this guy by himself. Why? Right? So there's implications to the story in and of itself, but he was taking the journey nonetheless, knowing that this was a path, this was a road that more than likely my man was going to get jumped. We went to uh, see a comedian yesterday, John Chris, and his whole first bit in his comedy act, he's a Christian comedian, was like about him riding around Baltimore or Baltimore, you know what I mean? And he was like, yeah, uh, I can see why y'all drink around here, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and he was just kind of playing into that. And, and honestly, like, there are places in our city where, you know, I probably wouldn't go by myself. 
probably in a dark alley. There'd be some of y'all that I would take with me. And you could figure out which ones. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Because there are evident dangers in certain journeys that we take. And this man didn't regard those. He went. He took the journey. Look at verse number 30. Jesus answered, a certain man went down, and he fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the what? Mm-mm-mm. A certain priest. Verse 32, and likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came, looked on him, and passed on the other side. What in the world is wrong with these people? But watch this. A certain, what's the, what's the next word? Samaria. Remember, we already talked about the relationship between Samaria and Jerusalem, didn't we? How many of you know what that relationship was like? Was it a healthy one? No. So the Levite comes and looks over him and walks on the other side. A Samaritan, maybe we'll get into this a little bit more, as he was journeying by, saw him, And had compassion on him. Went to him. Bound up his wounds. Pouring in oil and wine. And set him on his own beast. And brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took two pence. And gave them to the host of the inn, right? And said unto them, take care of them. Whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was a neighbor unto him? that fell among thieves. Remember the guy's question. Who's my what? Who's my neighbor? Who was the neighbor of the three? The good Samaritan, right? Go to verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went, they entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him. And said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left to serve me alone? Did her therefore that, uh, bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary hath chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. My goal this morning is that you choose the good part. The good part. So we have two stories here. We have the Good Samaritan, and then we have this interaction between Mary and Martha. Very interesting. But before we get into the Mary and Martha piece, we'll do that at the end. Let's talk about this conversation. So we have a religious ruler questioning Jesus. How many have ever been a part of a conversation where the other person, I wouldn't say you, was questioning Jesus? Anybody? Raise your hand. A few? If you haven't been then you're not doing what you should do that we talked about last week, right? Which is sharing the Lord. If you've never engaged in that type of conversation, then maybe you should put yourself out there a little bit. So there was a conversation. Verse 25, he says, how do I get to heaven? Verse 26 through 27, Jesus is committed to the law. Love God, love thy neighbor as thyself. It was the constant theme of Jesus' preaching. When I say the law, for sake, some people don't understand this, Right? I'm talking about the Old Testament. 
specifically the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the Torah, those that were accepted among this in Jerusalem, these Jewish people that they held so closely to, and among that, other writings that they added to it to help make sure that they were structured correctly. So Jesus, that's what they were trying to hang him up on, the fact that he uh, was not keeping the law, right? So we find here that Jesus says rightly in loving God and loving thy neighbor as thyself. Any, any specific document of commandments that that would kind of ring true of? Anybody? Huh? Ten commandments. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> I'm not going to put you on the spot. You could speak freely, right? Uh, the ten commandments. Right? There, there were ten commandments that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai to govern these people in the beginning. And that's what started it all. The chain reaction, if you will. And that's what they're saying. This guy, Jesus, he thinks he's something, doesn't he? He thinks he's going to come up in here last night. What you're not going to do. No, uh, if you were at the, con- the uh, comedy show, you know what that is. But what you're not going to do, Jesus, is one word, five syllables. No, what, what you're not going to do is come up in here to Jerusalem and tell us how we're going to run our synagogue. What you're not going to do is come up in here and say uh, that you're keeping the law and that we're not, because that's essentially what he did. He was going right at him, right? And so the conversation, they say, well, what do you think? How do you feel, Jesus? How are you, you going to get to heaven? Eternal life, right? And Jesus says, right there in the law, love God and love your neighbor. Leviticus 19.34, I'm going back to the law to pull out the scriptures that Jesus was talking about, right? Describes how to treat a stranger. This was in the context of the law. A portion of, of the law that they wanted to ignore, right? Because there, there was racial tension, between Samaria and Jerusalem. There was that, that bit of, man, they're half-breeds, they're not like us, they don't worship like us, so we're going to keep it clean in Jerusalem. We're going to do church this way, and this is what's going to keep us and our eternal life secure. And Jesus really takes them to this concept in Leviticus 19, that there is someone called the stranger, And in that context, the priest would be who Jesus was speaking to, familiar with, that it was their responsibility to treat a stranger with respect. Exodus 23, 4-5, they were to rescue, watch this, an enemy's donkey if it wandered off or collapsed under its load. How much more than the man that was described in this story himself. Even in their own law, they ignored it. it. It had a clause in there that said, if your enemy's donkey collapsed under the load, you're to show them respect and help them with that. And this was a man, this was a life. And this man in the story fell among thieves. And the priest and the Levite, it was their J-O-B to know what to do with that man. You understand what I'm saying? It was their job. And they were like, and the Levite, man, he was brave. He like walked up to him and he was like, oh my goodness. He's, and let me fill in the blank. He's from Samaria. I'm sorry, that was not right at all. I just just totally spoke out of turn. Not the fact that he was from Samaria. The Samaritan was about to make it right. Some of you caught it, some of you didn't. The Levite looks at him and says, not today. Not today. Man. Was Jesus quoting right from the law, yes or no? Yes, he was. Jesus was often accused by religious rulers of not keeping it, but he was. Jesus tells the story. Two men that were expected to do the right thing 
because of, ooh, this, listen, because of the relationship to God in their positions of knowledge and practice, and they failed. Y'all need to listen to this. Listen. Two men that were expected to do the right thing because of their relationship to God in their positions of knowledge and practice, and they failed. One man that was not likely to help, guess what? He helped. I have two problems here. The eternal problem and the now problem. The point is that heaven requires perfect conditions that we are not capable of. What was Jesus trying to tell this man? If you look back there in verse 46. I'm on the wrong page. In verse 20, 25. Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The eternal problem. Correct? Jesus, what do I do to make it to heaven? The point is that heaven requires perfect conditions and that we are not capable. How many have told this story to their kids, the Good Samaritan? Anybody? Really? If you have. Okay, cool. There's a few of you. You've told the story to your kids. How many of you knew the story of the Good Samaritan before we read it today? Okay. There's an eternal problem in this story, an eternity issue. What do most of us make of this story, though? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what do most of us make of this story? We tell the Good Samaritan story, and we say, now, Johnny, you're going to be the Good Samaritan. Am I right or am I wrong? Now, Johnny, if you see someone that needs help, what are you going to do? You're going to help them. Now, Johnny, you got lunch money? Yeah. You're going to help the kid next to you. Get, get, you're going to split your lunch money, okay? This is how we approach the Bible, yes? Is that how Jesus was approaching this story? Mm-mm. This was an ask to an eternal problem. The lawyer said, how do we get eternal life? So we need to first put the context where it needs to be and understand that in the eternal problem, we should not pacify temporal, earthly issues with an eternal story. Here's what I meant. Here were two men equipped and trained to do the right thing, and they what? They failed. Follow me here. I'm not here to make you a better person. I don't want you guys to come through the doors of Bethlehem Church to come hear Pastor Matt speak and read the Bible and maybe on a good day, if he's in a good mood, tell a couple jokes. And then we walk out, cup down, and we walk out being the third good Samaritan that's going to help that person on the side of the road. That's not my goal today. My goal is for you to sit there and say, I'd probably be one of the first two. If I was fully trained and equipped to do the right thing, oh my goodness gracious, please stop messing with the cups, (laughs) squirrel. If I was fully equipped to do the right thing, I wouldn't. Some of you have not faced this yet. For all have 
sinned and come short of the glory of God. The eternal problem of the gospel is right there on the tip of the iceberg of this text. And what do we do? We spiritualize it like every other time and say, all right, all right, Rainy. You're going to be the good Samaritan. You're going to help them, blah, blah, blah. Blah. Are you saying don't teach our kids to do good things? Don't teach your kids to be Pharisees. Don't teach your kids to think that they're something that they're not. Don't believe a lie of the devil that you're good and that you are going to accomplish something on your own because you're not. That's the eternal problem. The eternal problem is that we tell the story and we make it a temporal problem. Oh, weren't you? Man, this is going to be great. Pastor Matt said the Good Samaritan. It's my favorite story. (laughs) And depending on your personality, you were ready to sit in a pew today. If you were reading ahead and you were thinking, he's about to describe me. This is going to be great. I would stop. I would be the one to pull up on the side of the road and I would give my donkey and I would think about what this guy did. He took wine. He understood the complexities of the man's injuries and used that alcohol as purification. He took oils. This stuff was not cheap back then. He was ready to go. He put him on his donkey. He stayed with him the night in the end. Do you understand that? When the Bible talks about inns, these were not great places to go to. Most of the time, they were like brothel-type places. So that innkeeper was looking at him like, huh, what are we going to do with this? Chances are the innkeeper was ready to size him up and take him for whatever the Good Samaritan would have given him. So the Good Samaritan pulls out two pieces of money that in the text are enough to pay, depending on the hotel, a three-week stay. The two denarii there that the Good Samaritan offers are enough to put that man up for three weeks, possibly two months. And then above and beyond says if he racks up any kind of room service, I don't care if my man wants crabs every day. Bring it to him. I'll pay the bill when I get back. He's a Samaritan. No one in their right mind when Jesus gave this story would have thought he should have finished him off. The Samaritan should have looked at the man that left Jerusalem and got over top of him and said, all you do is hate me. All you do is make fun of me. You think that your worship in Jerusalem is better than what I can do in Samaria? Hey, take this. Let me put you out of your misery. And the priest and the Levite both would have said, makes sense. They were like, yeah. See you, bro. But yet we're going to put ourselves in the shoe of the good Samaritan? Let me ask you guys. How many of you have put your finances on hold for anyone in the last month? How many of you basically think about this? This man was put up in a hotel. I'm going to be honest. I couldn't afford to pay a hotel room for the next two months for somebody cash money on the spot. That's what he did. And he stayed there that night with him just to prove that he was doing it out of love for an enemy. The point of the story is it was so crazy what the guy did. Jesus knew that everyone there would go, I wouldn't what? I wouldn't do it. And the problem is, is here's what I'm hearing. A lot of white noise in churches these days. Where they're getting up and talking about the Good Samaritan. And everybody in here has itching ears. And the pastor comes up. We're on this level. And he goes, let me tell you something. You're a Good Samaritan. And they tickle your ears. 
oh, you guys, you, you roll down the window and you let that guy wash, you know, wash your windshield and you give him a dollar. You're the good Samaritan. There is not one person in this room that would fit that description. Let me just go ahead and be real with you. Not one. And even if that person is in here, that person that would go through all of that would say, it ain't me, it's who? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's time we woke up out of our sleeping slumber of hypocrisy and false sense of humility. Ugh. Jesus tells the church through the prophet John and says, you're lukewarm. You make me want to puke. Man, you ain't going to come up in here and, and let me tell you that you're the good Samaritan. I'm sorry. I don't see it in the text. You know what I see? I'm the one sitting there going, oh, Jesus, you are right. There is an eternal problem. But here's the problem that I see. Everybody's out there trying to make themselves feel better. I get it. I get it. Nobody likes to look into the lens of the gospel and see themselves for who they are. But I'm here to tell you that if you want to inherit eternal life, the point of the story was for you to realize that you couldn't do it. Not for you to take up some kind of false mantle and act like you can. Here's the now problem. That's the eternal problem. Here's the now problem. The rules of engagement have changed. There must be an understanding of what matters and what doesn't. I'm going to just quickly run through these things because I hope that I've built a context around the story that you're with me on this thing. The now problem is unlikely friends. The now problem is unregarded generosity. You can go ahead and roll through the three of them. Unlikely friends. Do you see that in the story? Unregarded generosity. The man gave so much. Number three, a unique adoption. This man literally said, I'm going to come back for him. I, I don't care what my enemy costs me. I'm not only going to pay for it, I'm going to come back and redeem him. <laughs> Who's the real good Samaritan in this story? Who is it? Who is it? That's it. Unlikely, unique, unlikely friends, unregarded generosity, unique adoption. Listen to this. Listen to this statement. As soon as we qualify or quantify the process, we move from faith to foolishness. As soon as we qualify the process, we move from faith to foolishness. Now here's where the, here's where the sermon takes a turn. The whole point of coming to church is to learn to be like who? Jesus. No, 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 Pastor Matt, you just told me that I could never act like that. That's not me. Right, but you can through him. Why? Because he's already done it for you. That's why we took communion, right? We're, we're acknowledging who he is, and now he is enabling us to go out and live. And so one, one thing to understand that as soon as we qualify the process, those other two men... They justified that stuff right out of there. They're like, yeah, he's probably dead. Literally, here was, the, here was the, the man from Jerusalem laying there, right? They could see it. No, he's not breathing. 
poor guy, poor fella, I'll do his funeral. Here's my card, sliding it into his shirt. I got that. Right? They were priests. I'm just saying. We'll, we'll bury you. We'll give you a good ceremony. <laughs> they qualified the process. How many of us qualify ourselves right out of gospel conversations? How many of us put ourselves in situations that, that we find that we're like, I literally took myself, I could have shared Jesus, but that's <laughs> no, okay. We move from faith to foolishness. You know, and, and I could stay on this point and say that you've never lived in faith if you're the person that thinks that you're doing the work on your own. So the assumption of the now problem is that all of you realize what I'm talking about, and you're laying down. You're laying down your inability, and you're saying, Jesus, work through me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, redeem me. Jesus, work through me. So that's, that's the, the qualifying factor on the scriptures end. And if you've moved into there, don't qualify the process. Don't pull yourself right out of a gospel conversation. Don't pull yourself right out of the game, so to speak, by going back to you thinking you've got it figured out. By going back to that position where you have to add something to the work that Jesus is doing. All of us should be there sitting at the feet of Jesus, the teacher reading and understanding this text going, you're right, Jesus. You've got to do this thing. Make me into a vessel that you can pour into, that you can work out of. And he wants to do something amazing with that. He wants to make you into that good Samaritan. Why? Because he wants to change lives. Jesus wants to bring healing. He wants to heal your neighbor. He wants to heal your coworker. He wants to stop alongside of every one of those relationships in your life and redeem them. But if you qualify the process by putting yourself back into it and you change the rules of engagement, why even start to begin with? The gospel is a selfless act. The last two messages, if you haven't listened to them or you weren't here, what we do is share Jesus. And the bottom line is that God uses crazy life situations as opportunities for us to insert Jesus here and let him work and let him move. I hope you're getting it. I hope that you're seeing it, that this was an unlikely friendship, an unregarded generosity, and a unique adoption. Don't qualify the process. Don't think you got it figured out. Because Jesus uses the foolish to confound the what? The wise. Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha. This is the perfect cherry on top. We're doing good, man. Look at verse number 38. I'm telling you, we're doing it. We're making it happen. We're going to wrap this up. <laughs> Look at verse 38, Mary and Martha. I, I have a hard time, and I don't want to offend you per se in your personality in this. <laughs> I'm going to offend you. It's going to happen. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't want, my desire is not in this, and I'm not saying I'm pulling, you know, uh, what's, the, what's the term I'm looking for? I'm not pulling punches here because I don't want to offend. I'm saying this is going to be a personal thing. This is not a... Uh, Jesus takes the gospel like what we were just talking about, and he makes it personal. And let me explain something to you. You know this story, this interaction is only found in the book of Luke. 
It's only found in this gospel, tucked away. We're not even certain of the exact timing that it took from Jesus to have this eternal conversation with and going to Mary and Martha's. Right? But we get the sense that this is where their interactions begin. And, and we understand that there's more to the story, right? With Lazarus, right? And there's other amazing things that happen in the scene of this home with Mary and Martha. But this specific conversation is only in Luke. And, it's, and Luke is big on, right, he's the physician, the historian. He's big on chronological order, whereas some of the other Gospels jump around. So he's trying to tell us something here. And this week, as I poured over the message, I thought, I can't leave that by itself. I can't go and preach that message, which I, I could have, but I don't want to preach that thought on its own on an island because I don't think it is. I think that this flows here at the end of chapter 10 for a specific reason, and I think Luke is trying to tell us something. And it's so practical, I don't want you to miss it. Okay, are you ready? Only here in Luke, only time it's mentioned, and I feel like there's something special here. So let's look at it. Mary and Martha, and it came to pass, right? We're not sure what the the, the time frame is. As they went, they entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into, what's the wording? her house. So now we're framing this relationship here, right? We're framing the relationship between Mary and Martha and Jesus that this was Martha's house. Martha was the one keeping all this together, right? She had ownership. So what's the possibility here? What's more than, more than likely she was a what? Huh? A widow, more than likely, her husband had passed, and she was the one that picked up the mantle and was running with it. <laughs> the world celebrates these people. Celebrates them. If you're a go-getter, if you're that type of a person that just makes it happen, remember the story that we just left. I, w- I want you to get this. Stay with me. Remember the story that we just left. The religious ruler. The one who thought he could do it. We left that passage of scripture pretty much with the thought that he didn't get it. There's no other mention of that religious ruler. The story ends fairly abruptly in the context that, whatever. You think you're keeping the law, Jesus, by with these crazy thoughts of yours. But then we find them meeting Mary and Martha, two good people. She was a good lady. She was keeping her house. She was doing everything she could do to make it. Do you understand? The world was against her and she was pulling through. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat where? Huh. And heard his word. And Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister... To serve what? Mm-hmm. Bitter, therefore, that she helped me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about what? But one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that what? Good part. Which shall not be taken away from her. And that's it. That's the excerpt. What do we do with that? 
Church, let me ask you this question. What is needed? Mm-hmm. David said in Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing I have asked of the Lord, listen, church, that I shall seek. David said, the psalmist, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I shall seek. Paul wrote in the New Testament, One thing I do in Philippians 3.13. David's single focus was on beholding and meditating on the beauty of the Lord. Paul's was on pursuing him so as to be conformed to his likeness. Both are illustrations of the highest priority for believers, the deep transforming knowledge of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Deuteronomy 8.3, in the context of the law. If we are going to get this right, it is going to flow out of a relationship with Jesus. You will be the good Samaritan if you are learning from the good shepherd. When you are focused on something instead of someone, then you are missed, and you have missed the point. What is needful, church? Simply Jesus. Those of you that are the ones keeping the household, let me just speak candidly with you. You okay with that? I'm real talk here. Those of you that are keeping the household, you're holding it together, but you're doing it on your own. Mary was the one in her position. (laughs) She was just fine sitting there at the feet of Jesus, learning and taking in and deepening her walk. And Martha's like, I got the cookies in the oven. I got to clean the bathroom. Oh my goodness, I didn't know Jesus was coming. Washing that junk and where's the calendar? Her iPhone's going off. Oh my goodness, I'm supposed to go to the market and I got lists upon lists upon lists. Mary, what are you doing? I'm just, it's really good what's coming out of the guy's mouth. It's the first time we've met. It's amazing. First of all, I'm going to get to you in a minute. Jesus Can't you see, I'm running around this whole house all day long. I've been cleaning, I've been cooking, and what do you think you're eating? What do you think you're putting your feet on? You're putting your feet on that little ottoman that I paid for, that I worked hard. Did I tell you I lost my husband and and all the things that I've done just to keep the lights on in this place? And and, uh, you tell her right now to get off her tushy and help me with what's going on in this house. (sighs) And Jesus just goes... Martha, 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 you are one busy beaver. And you're chomping on all kinds of tree logs around here. And you need to put the wood down. And you need to just sit a while. And you need to listen to what I've got to say. Because Mary, she's doing one thing. And she's doing exactly what she needs to be doing. Here's the problem with churches when we get to this stage. I have all the people that are really good at running around, and then those that aren't, right? <laughs> oh my goodness, we got to do this, and we got to do that, and these are, Pastor Matt likes it there, and, and right there, and, and three more people are coming in, get the coffee, where is Cooper? He forgot Pastor Matt's Bible, oh my goodness gracious, oh these are at least inches Oh, why are you, oh my goodness, 
You knew. You knew there wasn't going to be communion stuff in there. That's your fault. You should have counted them. Do you know how many people sit in here? The screens. The words were wrong. I saw it. Y'all, we need one thing. And as long as we can all give grace to each other, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Just listen to what Jesus is trying to say. You were trained. A priest and a Levite. What does that mean? Not only were you trained, you were born into this. In order to be a Levite, it was about your lineage. You were groomed to do this work. And you missed the point. And then we see him at Mary and Martha's house and we see Martha pinging off the walls. What is the point? Church, we need to focus on our relationship with Jesus. Just sit down and read your Bible. Just sit down and pray. One thing you need to do, Martha, every head bowed, every eye closed.